All right, welcome, guys. Um, so glad ev- you are here tonight. Uh, we've got some good work, I think, to do tonight, and, uh, and I'm, let's get going. My name's Jeff. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from gambling, fear of man, and envy. Hey, guys. By the way, do we like the, the new room set up and all of that? It might take a little time getting used to it, but... Uh, I like it. I feel there's people closer, so that's nice. Um, well, hey, I, we do. We have a little bit of work tonight, Step 5, Confess, in part because I think the Big C Church in general has misunderstood this step in particular. Uh, and there's been some uh, poor practices when it comes to the church uh, in this area for a long time. And so I think we've got some work to unlearn some stuff so that we can plant the right stuff in our minds when it comes to this. So let me pray for our time, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us to have a right understanding of confession. Teach us um, its purposes and uh, help us to follow through in obedience in this area, Lord. We've, uh, we want to be obedient, and so teach us your truth and your way, specifically with this step, so that we may honor you in all that we do, Lord. We love you, and we trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, let me start here first before we get in to kind of jump into this. But uh, a couple months ago, I was at a dinner party where uh, they had like, I think the game's called Table Topics. I don't know if you all know what I'm talking about, but it's just they put it on the table. You pull out a card and it's supposed to, if you're sitting at a table with people you don't know, it's an icebreaker, anything like that. Well, our icebreaker question was, if you could disinvent anything, what would you disinvent? What would you get rid of? And we're all kind of feeling each other out at the table and some people have like these real poignant answers like I'd get rid of nuclear weapons or, you know, it, whatever. Just everything was, a lot of people were focused. It came to me, so there was a certain type of answer and then there was my answer. And my answer very simply was clowns. I'd get rid of clowns. That's a fantastic place to start and you know it. Uh, and so as we, as we began, and it's half true and half just having fun, but uh, that began to be our own icebreakers. People were like, why would you say, why did you want to disinvent clowns? And I was like, I'll tell you. Because when I was five years old, my 11-year-old sister got her hands on a VHS tape of Poltergeist. If you, for those of you that are familiar with this movie, you know where that's going. My 11-year-old sister brought me in to watch that movie with her. And if you're familiar with that movie at all, we'll be careful here, but uh, there is a scary clown in that Look at that thing. That thing is scary. Here's what we need to know. By the way, all clowns are possessed. Can we just agree on that for a second? That clown in particular is possessed because all clowns are possessed. Now, in this scene, uh, there is a five- or six-year-old boy, that was my age, uh, sitting on the bed, and he's locked in. There's weird things happening at his house. I won't go into the plot breakdown of that movie, but there's weird things happening in his house. Lightning striking, the, the lights are going in and out, and all of a sudden that clown's no longer where he wants like The next thing we know, that clown's right in front of his face, and my heart was forever broken when it came to clowns, right? And it was a mess. Now, here's the worst thing. I'm five years old. That's not healthy for me. The worst thing is I had a clown on my wall. Here's that clown. This thing is creepy. Look at that thing. I was five years old, that thing had been on me, and you better believe, I was already scared of that thing. I was permanently freaked out by that thing. For the next three weeks, I did not sleep. And my, uh, I, I was scared, uh, my parents were not happy with me, my dad got frustrated with me, and yet they didn't know anything about me going to watch Poltergeist. Finally, three weeks later, scared out of my mind, thinking I was gonna be in the worst trouble that I'd ever been, and that who knows what was gonna happen to me, I wanted them to know what had happened. 
And so uh, I, I grabbed my parents and told them, hey, one of the reasons why I'm scared of that clown on my wall is because you need to know we, my sister, Jennifer, and I, we watched Poltergeist. And, uh, and I still remember it, right? In that moment, I just remember my dad getting up from the table. He didn't say anything in the moment, and he went in and he took that clown down off my wall. And it was this picture, right? And, uh, and I want to be clear, it came with some consequences. For, I, I think for me, it was a month I wasn't allowed to watch TV because we had violated, like my parents wanted to know anything I was intaking. My sister got a worse, um, you know, the older, and he who leads somebody into sin faces greater consequences. All that was played out perfectly. But it was a reminder to me. I didn't care about the lost TV at that point. I was so grateful for the freedom that came with that confession. Confession was a gift to me in that moment. And I think uh, we have trained ourselves and the church in general has trained. I'm just saying the large church, not Watermark. We've trained ourselves to think confession is punishment. That you go somewhere to confess when you've done something wrong and it's punishment. You pay your penance and you try to stop doing that and then you move on. And I want to redefine it. I want to rightly define it and get it in all of our heads tonight that confession is a gift. Confession is a gift. And so even as we just kind of work through some of the other things, I just, every little step we move through tonight as we talk about confession, confession is a gift that your heavenly father has given you as a path back to his ways, a back home, as Jonathan said. And confession is the key that unlocks that path. And it's a scary step. You can do steps one through four, in your own private place in your heart, step five is a public step, as are all the other ones. All 12 of them should be public, but this one is a dividing line of will you go public with your faith and trust God in his ways? And so as, as we've talked about, and as we, as we say often, Jonathan reminded us, right, regeneration is about a person, it's about Christ. And just to remind us ourselves about the 12 steps, the 12 steps aren't some magic formula that people that wrote regen stumbled upon. This is in God's word. And all the 12 steps are for regeneration is laying that out in a way that's helpful, especially if you've gotten stuck in your journey where you can go back through and go, which is the step I'm not living out well in my life? Because the, the purpose of the 12 steps is to live them out all the time at the same time. But when you get stuck in certain ways, you can start to go back and go, which one am I missing on? And so uh, when we talk about the faces of region, when we talk about the 12 steps, we're talking about God's word at the end of the day. And if God's word is true, then the people that we read about in God's word should be modeling the steps for us. And that's what this series has been all about is we wanna see where we read in God's word about God's men, God's women, who model the steps that we're asking you to model, that we're asking of ourselves too. And so tonight we're going to look at the prodigal son. There's a ton I would love to unpack with the prodigal son. We're specifically going to look at how he models step five for us. When we look at these characters, uh, when we look at these people that lived, you need to know we, they're, they're modeling all 12 of the steps. But we're going to zero in on the one that we want to focus tonight. And tonight we're going to look at the prodigal son's confession. So three things that we're just going to uh, be aware of as we figure out to get a right understanding that confession is a gift and it's not punishment is that confession is never alone. There's three things that we're going to look at. First, confession um, is communal. When we confess, confession is never made just by ourselves, but it's something that is a part 
of community. Confession is never alone in action. It's repentant. Confession's always paired with all the other steps. And then the third thing that we gotta have in our heads is confession is continual. This is not a one time. This is never, this is not just a lone moment in time. This is what disciples do all of their lives. And so with those three things, let's jump in. Luke 15, verse 17. Uh, We'll actually pop back up to verse 11 for a second to set the stage. Again, we won't unpack all the richness that is in the parable of the prodigal son. But verse 11, let me just read for a little bit. It says, and he said, this is Jesus giving the parable, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, which is akin to the, the, the son wishing that his father was dead, that he could go ahead and cash out his inheritance now. That's not honoring your father and mother. One of the Ten Commandments that the son here would have known was his responsibility to honor And yet the father divided his property between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. A lot I would love to unpack there, but one thing I just want to point out is this is what sin does. Sin is a terrible master. The enemy is a terrible master who desires us to come to this place. And so just know that that's, your flesh wants to lead you to that place. The enemy wants to lead you to this place. He is a terrible, terrible master. And so in verse 17, it says this, but when he came to himself, when we talk about Steph five confess we say this we confess to god ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our sin here he is confessing to himself when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but i perish here with hunger i will arise and go to my father and i will say to him father i have sinned i'm gonna against heaven confessing it to god and before you another human being I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. We confess to God ourselves and another human being. And here's who that specifically, this is where we've gotten this wrong as a big C church. Here's who that other human being needs to be. There's two things to think through. The first is it needs to be somebody that you've harmed. That's who we go seek forgiveness. That's who we go confess to or people who are a part of the solution. The many churches, some of the largest denominations that would claim Christ as their savior would tell you, you can, all you need to do is go to this priest and make this confession over here and he'll be that mediator for you between God and you. And that's just, first, Christ died so we didn't need a mediator. Christ is the mediator. He's the only name under heaven and earth that will mediate between us and God. We don't need to go to a priest to tell us to to say certain prayers and to pray through this rosary bead or whatever and to do this type of penance. We have Jesus as our mediator and we go to him. We confess through the spirit to the Father and we know that Christ has died for those sins. And so that's the first thing. We gotta remind ourselves that we go to a human being that we've hurt or is a part of the solution. And so that's why we ask you that in, 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 your, in your step groups, in groundwork, we begin to confess sin. 
right? Because your step group in particular can be a part of the solution going forward. They can help you try to figure out the right tracks to run on. Your leaders can help you. They're a part of the solution. So we confess to people that are gonna walk with you throughout the journey. And then the last little thing I wanna hit on in this area is it says confess to God ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our sins. Sin loves to live undefined. The enemy, your flesh, all of us are, are, are willing to go and I'll pick on this particular sin struggle, but we're all willing to go, you know what, I'm struggling with lust right now. But the reality is, I, who knows what that means? That could mean you took a second glance that you shouldn't have. That could mean you clicked and watched something you shouldn't have. That could mean you're in a relationship that you're not supposed to be in. And there's a big difference between this one and that one. In our flesh, in our moments, we'll go, I'll try to see if this will assuage my guilt and my sorrow, and I'll just go, I'm struggling with lust. See how that goes. And that will buy a little bit of freedom for about an hour or two. And then in your own mind, you will go, I did not confess the exact nature of my sin. And so, look, we don't need to be graphic here, but we need to be specific in what we're confessing because there's power in being specific and there's power in seeing how people respond to you with grace and mercy. It's power in knowing that sin in particular was nailed to the cross, and there's freedom in that. And so we confess the exact nature with people that are a part of the solution because confession is communal. This is not just a, hey, me and God are good. That's an important part of the transaction, but we've got to bring other people in that are a part of the solution that can help us. And so confession, it's communal. The other reason, just real quick on that, is just, just so you know that especially when it comes to earning salvation, working salvation, we confess not to earn our salvation. If you've trusted in Christ, you're saved. But we confess to restore fellowship with one another because Life is communal, and thus confession needs to be communal. And so when we've wounded somebody, the first casualty of sins, always relationships, and thus we've got to acknowledge that wound and begin to work on it. So confession is communal. The second thing is confession is not to be alone in action. It's repentant. Look at this, and, and, and don't miss these, these words right here. I think this is one of the key things to the passage. It's definitely one of the key things to his confession. In verse 20, it says, the prodigal son, he arose and came to his father. He did something about it. This wasn't just a said confession that sounded good back at he was going home to make the confession. There was not just act, there was just not just words, there was action coming. And he arose and came to his father. This is where repentance is also beginning to come in here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. Oh, I wish I could unpack all of that. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is him repentant. He's no longer, this is no longer just a, a said confession. This is a confession indeed. Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, Jesus tells his disciples, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And I'll just go, I think it's fair to say confession is vindicated by her deeds. Confession is vindicated by what follows. And when you read God's word, you will notice that confess almost always shows up with another verb. 
It almost always shows up with another verb. And so when you see uh, in James 5.16, when you're supposed to confess your sins to one another, the thing that comes in behind it is then others are supposed to pray for you so that healing can enter in. You, conf- you do your job, which is confess. You have other people. You're confessing to another human being, and those other human beings begin to pray for you. And I would say that prayer is both, uh, an, act- uh, both an activity of prayer. Stop and pray for somebody when they confess. And it's an attitude of prayer, like you're entering into the situation and go, how can I help you continually walk this road? Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will find mercy and compassion paired up. Even your faith, Romans 10, he who confesses with his mouth, but also what? Believes in their heart that Christ died for their sins, that person is saved. A lot of people know, will, will say, and even know up here, confess that Christ walked this earth, that Christ died for their sins, but there's no faith transaction because it's not in here. And so confession is an important step, don't get me wrong, but it is a step among other steps. And so there's something that always accompanies true confession It's repentant. Let me just prove this a little bit more just so we're not sure because there's many people in God's word that have confessed. And by the way, they were decent confessions. I want you to listen. Exodus 9, 27, Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one. That's a good confession of recognizing what's happening and who the right one is. And I and my people are the wicked ones. But then notice what follows. Make supplication to the Lord for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I want something to change. I'm not just satisfied with trusting God's way. I want something out of it. Exodus 10, 16. Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron and he said, I have sinned. There's confession. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this one and make supplication to the Lord so that he would remove this death from me. King Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 24. It's a good confession. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Man, I have that. I mean, as somebody who struggles with fear, man, this verse is in my brain because this is a brother who was also fearful of man. He confesses the, even the exact nature of his sin right there, but it doesn't, it's not accompanied by anything. And so he's gotten stuck here in the journey. True confession is repentant. It goes on later, if you want to see what his, uh, his intention was, verse 30, it says, then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people. Still cel- I still want to be celebrated. Judas, Matthew 27, three through four. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had condemned, he was, had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. It's a good confession. And they said, what is that to us? See to that to yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver and he departed. He went away and hanged himself. It wasn't repentance. It was a worldly sorrow. True confession arises and goes back home. What Jonathan was talking about. Goes back to the father. Confesses there. The father's going to go, you know my book. And I'm going to tell you. you got to invite people into the journey. So I'm going to ask you to confess to other people. Not so we can laugh at you. But so true healing can begin to enter in. This is confession. 
When you confess but don't repent, your heart grows hard. When scripture says Pharaoh's heart was hardened by the Lord, all that means is that because Pharaoh didn't walk in the Lord's way, the Lord allowed him to experience the effects of an unrepentant confession. God can't bring healing in where there's not healing desired. That's a a worldly sorrow confession that doesn't produce repentance without regret. See 2 Corinthians 7.10. I've heard it said from from Eric Mason, an African-American pastor up in the Northeast. I love just good stuff. He just says, uh, to confess and not repent is emotional abuse. And I don't say that so you can use that as a weapon towards someone else. I say that to you to go, hey, when you confess but you don't repent, that just is emotional abuse of those in your life. Step nine, there's there's plenty of recovery programs that do 12 steps. And if you know step nine, it will say make amends except when doing so would injure them or other people. You need to know something. Your sin affects relationships and it hurts them. It's already injured them, okay? And so that's why when we word step nine, we say, hey, make direct amends whenever possible, submitting to God, his word, and biblical counsel. Because when you go and confess sin to somebody, I'm just telling you now, it's gonna injure them. That's what sin does. It already has injured them. And, and so to act like it's not gonna injure them is an, uh, is an improper understanding of what sin does to people. What we've got to do is we've gotta go make Biblical amends whenever possible so that true healing can begin to enter in. So people ask me all the time, they're just going, hey, look, if I confess my affair to my spouse, that's gonna wreck them. And I'm scared out of my mind. And, or if I tell them about my pornography use, why, how's that gonna benefit them? Everything, if, if they know that, it's going to ruin our relationship. And I'm just like, the consequence that you're most worried about is what's already happening. Because your relationship is broken, there's a, bound, there's a barrier between it because of sin and you're not doing anything about it. And you may feel good that it hasn't fully been exposed and in the light, but you already experienced the consequence that you're dreading about experiencing. Does that make sense? And so we've got to go to people and look, hear me, hear my heart in this. Don't, you aren't giving God any favors by managing your sin and managing your information. The same God that's rescued you knows how to deal with a grieving spouse, knows how to deal with grieving family members, knows how to deal with hurting children because of your sin. The same God that knows how to tend to wounded people can know how to tend to the people you've wounded. So you're not doing them any favors by managing that sin. You're hindering it. And if anything, you're perpetuating darkness. So get after doing the work of God and trust him. I t- a lot of people have asked me, did, um, so 1,731 days ago I confessed on January 19, 2015. I remind myself, I count my days because I remind myself confession's a gift. That day was a gift. It was hard, it brought consequences, and it was a gift. People ask me, did you tell your kids? Yes. Five days later, after submitting to God, Biblical counsel and community, we said, we think it's wise to tell our kids. My seven-year-old, my five-year-old, my three-year-old, she didn't stay at the table too long. <laughs> and, uh, and we sat down 
And you know what's interesting? Again, tr- uh, not trying to m- do God favors by somehow managing my sin as if that's going to protect my kid from something. It was appropriate what, I, what we told them, but we sat them down and it ended up being one of the sweetest moments we've ever had as a family. And what's odd enough, if there's one line that's been quoted that I've said more than anything at Watermark, it's this line that I've tested the warnings of scripture and I've found them to be true. And so for now on, I'm gonna test the promises of scripture. That came out of my mouth randomly as I sat with my kids that morning. Joined them, didn't know exactly how to confess, but I sat with them and we just... One of the things that we do right now with your kids, you need to know we're not just babysitting. We are discipling them. We, one of the things that we say and there on Tuesday nights and on Sunday mornings is everything the Bible says is absolutely true. I sat with my kids and we talked about that. We said that five times. We just all said it together. Everything the Bible said is absolutely true. And then I said, you need to know that dad has tested the warnings of scripture. Dad has stolen some money He's lied about it and he's deceived others for a long period of time. Does the Bible say that those are not appropriate behaviors? Yes. Does the Bible say there's consequences that come with that? Yes. Everything the Bible says is absolutely true. Dad's tested those warnings. But if the warnings are true, it means the promises are true. And so for now on, Dad's gonna test the promises of God's word. And it's been a sweet moment in our families. You need to know my seven-year-old son, who's now 12, ever since that day, one of the consequences that I see in his heart is he now worries about money in a way that he didn't before that day. And I could have protected him from that, but he would have missed out on all the ways God's shown up in the last five years. He got to see community group people come with, with Costco membership refund checks. He got to see community group people show up. Just this last month, I was on vacation and, and we had a, a tire blowout and, uh, uh, and we had to stop at NTB in, uh, in, in Birmingham, Alabama and we had a, a $1,200 uh, bill at the, at the auto parts distributor. And my son, I could see him, he was starting to, his lip was quivering. And we just prayed and we just said, has God always been good to us? Yes, then we will trust the Lord few hours later, people in our community group sent some money just to help, just so that we wouldn't miss out on anything that we had planned on our trip. And I'm just like, it would have been a tragedy had I stole and tried to manage that information from my son. He's got to see God show up and the gospel lived out in his life in ways he couldn't have imagined. Don't manage information. God's big enough to handle whatever wound comes. Confession is not to be a singular act in time. I gotta move here. It's continual. I could unpack it a little bit. It's more of an argument from silence when you read the prodigal son, but if you've got your Bible, turn real quick to Luke 6 and Matthew 10. We're just gonna unpack it this way. I'm telling you, man, the Bible is rich with knowledge. It is rich. It's just like a parable. You've got to work for it at times, but there is good stuff all over the place, even in simple things like the listing out of the disciples. In Luke 6, Luke is saying, here are who the disciples are. It says, Simon, verse 14, Simon, whom he named Peter, these are the 12 disciples. Again, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. Just list off all the 12. Matthew 10, verse 2. Matthew's own gospel account. 
The names of the 12 apostles are these. It's going to sound a lot like Luke's. First, Simon, who was called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. All the same thus far. And then there's going to be two exceptions here. Thomas comes first because Matthew's like, I don't care who comes first. Usually, usually in these instances, the, 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 the more prominent of the disciples is listed. Matthew's just like, I'm listing Thomas first. I don't care. And then it says Matthew underlined in my Bible, the tax collector. 30 years after he was no longer a tax collector, he still remembers he was a tax collector. He still remembers where he came from. And he's reminded, because confession is continual. This isn't something you, try, you confess once and then you just try to distance yourself. Matthew buried that in God's word so that we would all know for all time. You confess to the person you've harmed. You confess to people that are part of the solution. And then the third, just and there's wisdom in this. You don't need to run out of here and confess to everyone tonight. But the bullseye is, you don't care who knows what. Because you know that when you get to share your story, God gets magnified. His grace gets the glory. Christ gets the glory. And when we say confession is continual, this isn't something that we just do. We just, we just talk about the sin from 30 years ago. We talk about the sin from 30 days ago. We talk about the sin from 30 minutes ago. Because 1 John 1, 7 through 9, the, the, the step verse for this, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. So confess the darkness that is in you however it looks if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness confess 100% not 95% not 98% confess 100% Christ desires truth God desires truth in the innermost being 100% progressive confession has devastating consequences if you're in the middle of a progressive, comfort, com, pro, progressive confession, you need to know that unconfessed sin has deadly consequences. So today's the day. Get it out there. It's a gift. It's not punishment. It's the gift that will help you sleep well at night, that will get you back on the road pursuing Christ, that will then begin to allow the relationships to know the state that they're actually in and then begin to move towards restoration. So that we're... Fellowship can be restored. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us. We are a scared people at times. Our flesh doesn't want to do this step. The enemy doesn't want us to do this step. The world says it's foolish to do this step. But your word tells us it's faithful. And so help us to be obedient in this step. Lord, we need to be people of confession, not just uh, stuck in this step. Lord, help us to, to make it communal. Help us to it be accompanied by all the other acts of obedience that needs to accompany it. And help us to do this continually, not just, um, uh, just so that we can assuage our guilt and sorrow, but that we can truly repent and begin to look more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, help us in this area. We're desperate. And we love you. Thank you that you've died for everything that we've done if we would just confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.